Hello, Theologizers. This is Brett, one half of this outfit. I'm here back again for episode number nine, our most spectacular episode yet, alongside my brother, Ben. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing grand. I'm feeling like a Halloweenie, and I'm ready to uh, to get our spoop on. We are two Halloweenies in an Oscar Mayer package in the Frozen Isle at Publix, <laughs> ready to record a Theo Bros podcast. All right, cue the Halloween intro music. Let's start off by just talking about what we what we love about Halloween. What's your favorite thing about Halloween, Brett? Or what was your favorite thing about it growing up? Well, I like a lot about Halloween. I love Halloween as a holiday. I think it might only come second to uh, the grand poobois that is Christmas. I had great memories of Halloween growing up, of uh, trick-or-treating, of wearing my Power Rangers costume, and just enjoying all the candy and, and just the whole ambiance and vibe of the, the spookiness and the creepiness of going to different people's houses. You know, they're all decorated and I love Halloween movies. I've always liked horror movies and the whole, I've been very interested in, in just the, you know, that sort of thing like ghosts and supernatural and, you know, it intrigues me, which I know it intrigues a lot of people, but some people aren't into it, but I'm one of the ones who, who dig it. What about you? Same, same. Well, I would second everything you said. Another thing, though, that I've always loved about Halloween that I'm very sad I can't do anymore because I lived in upstate New York now. As Floridians, we both love Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights. Yes, indeed. And That's probably the best aspect of Halloween Horror Nights, even better than the the haunted houses, was Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure live show that they did every year. But they stopped doing it, uh, I think, last year. So rest in peace. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. Sad. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire. I don't know. Maybe the younger generations just aren't as excitable or, you know, maybe there's too much of a generation gap now. So people are like, what is Bill and Ted? What is this about? I bet you that's it. I think enough time has passed where, you know, when we, I think we were like the tail end of that who kind of knew what Bill and Ted was and still appreciated it. But I feel like you got a little further beyond us, you know, the, yep. you know, the high schoolers, college kids going these days. Yeah, I think we finally they finally met that kind of gap where there was there was a disconnect. Yeah, I mean, it seems like iGen is just a it's just a horrible generation in general. Hey, I, I, I take that back. I'm, I'm sure there are a few good, good apples in the basket. Don't be whooping the younger generation with the social media. I'm already straight Instagrams. straight old geese and telling iGeners to get off my lawn. Oh, man. Yeah. So Halloween, we and Ben, I think both have really liked Halloween throughout our lives and just enjoy horror as a genre in general. Uh, What's your favorite Halloween costume you ever donned? Oh, man. My favorite Halloween costume ever? That's that's a toughie. You know, I mentioned it just a second ago, you know, just for pure excitement, my Red Ranger costume. Yeah. I looked like I had a giant head and a small body, but I remember that. I got a kick out of that costume. I loved it. I was a big Power Rangers fan. What about you? That's another thing that dates us as true unadulterated 90s kids is we, you're talking like the OG Red Ranger from the original Power Rangers in the early 90s, which was the best. Of oh, course. Yeah. What was his name? Uh, Jason. 
uh well as a as a lad i think my favorite one i ever did was trunks from dragon ball z the only problem with it was mm. no one knew who i was because it was a very niche thing dragon ball z was just like beginning to break into american culture through tsunami and stuff but like none of the adults giving me candy like they'd be like oh who are what are you and i'd be like i'm trunks from dragon ball z and they just kind of be like uh, okay here's a reese's that's funny yeah, that's probably the earlier days of dbz kind of breaking into the american culture i know that nowadays i think most people know what dragon ball z is and I, i've also though i got actually more elaborate with costumes in college um i know one year yeah yeah it was my first year of college i think it was the year the dark knight came out and i was uh the joker of course but i didn't buy any you know like pre-made masks or anything i did my own like outfit and makeup and hair and stuff and i i stayed in character at the parties i went to as well which was probably kind of annoying to most of the people there <laughs> I remember you do your you at least you did have a good Joker impression. So yeah. I dig it. What was your best college outfit? My best college outfit? I was never that great at like costumes when I was older as an adult. I never had anything like too uber creative. I mean, I was where's Waldo last year. Of course, that's far from college. <laughs> but uh college, man, I don't even know what I was. I was Aladdin one year. That's I pretty think. good one. Yeah, we had like a Disney themed Halloween party. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yes, that was fun. Oh, well, yeah. So I think you were trying to, when you were interrupting me before, or I was interrupting you, or, or we are interrupting each other, was you were trying to get at the uh, our mutual love for horror films. You know, a horror film I had never seen until just last night. I saw it for the first time. It's a very recent horror film. Seemed to have gotten good critical reviews. Can you guess what it was, Brett? Recent? Like in the past year? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Last year and a half, I guess. I don't know. Was it The, uh, the Witch? No, no, I had already seen that several times, which is also a phenomenal film. Yeah. Oh, did you see, was it M. Night Shyamalan's uh, no. movie, um, Split? No, I still need to see that, though. It was Hereditary. Oh, I've heard of that. I actually have not seen that either, but I've been told it was good. It was very good. It was probably the most disturbing horror movie I've ever seen. And oh, my goodness. I, and I'm... <laughs> Uh, so, you know, in that sense, a horror movie is make, meant to make you feel unsettled. So, uh, I mean, it made me feel probably as or more unsettled than like the first time I saw The Shining. That came out like this year, right? Uh, yeah, I think it came out in, the, in this past year, year and a half. Yeah. Well, what, what are your uh, what are your top three favorite horror films? Brit? Well, I definitely got to see Heredity, but uh, you said my top three. Yeah. My top three horror movies. Man. Well, my number one is obvious. For my for myself, and that's The Shining. Classic. I love the I love The Shining. I think that's my number one favorite horror movie of all time. Other than that, I I really like the Conjuring series. Oh, me too. Conjuring one and two. Thoroughly enjoyed both of those. I think those are both high quality uh, horror movies. Other than that, you know, I'm I'm focusing more on the supernatural ones. You also have the the slashers. Yeah. You know, I like the original Halloween. That's a classic slasher movie. These are, these are pretty brutal, but <laughs> the, the you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I I don't know why I'm bringing this up on a theology podcast, but <laughs> I was hey, yo, I was going I was going to list the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre in my top 3 for sure. That one's pretty brutal, but just a, a, a well-made film. I also like the Grudge movie. That those are really freaky deaky like when they came out. Like, you yeah. don't really hear about those as much anymore. 
but yeah no i, I think yeah I, I think i only saw the first one but i remember really liking it that had a uh, sarah michelle geller in it right yep yeah. classic 90s actress yep um, are you i guess i'd probably say well so I, i'm gonna let i mean hereditary and the witch are two of the best horror films i've seen but i'm gonna let them marinate over time so i'm gonna Ooh. set those aside for now can i say say one i forgot about the sixth sense oh yeah oh yeah for sure i see dead people love that movie I think probably my top three would be, and this is kind of a variety of kinds of horror films in no particular order would be, as you said, The Shining, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Thing, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. How could I forget about The Thing? I, I, that, that's definitely up there for me too. I totally forgot about that one. Yeah, that's it's just an awesome like creature, psychological thriller. Also has one of my favorite horror soundtracks. It's like this very good kind of minimalist 80s creeping soundtrack for sure and i also love the use of practical effects in that movie i think that's what one of the main reasons that makes the movie so great is, is just brilliant old school hollywood like practical monster effects yeah and my favorite house at halloween horror nights they ever did was when they did the thing i thought it was extremely oh, yeah. well done agreed agreed they also have Hallow Scream at Bush Gardens, which is kind of over in my Bush Gardens, Tampa, which is over oh. in my stomping grounds. I haven't been to it yet, but I'd, I'd like to go to it and see how it compares to Halloween Horror Nights. I've also been to just some some classic, more like private Halloween walkthroughs and stuff that, have, that are kind of cool too. So, yeah, um, yeah, good times, good times. This year, I just went to to uh, Mickey's Halloween party, which isn't quite as scary as Halloween Horror Nights, but I still enjoyed myself. Really? They they, they didn't have uh, Mickey dressed up as Leatherface or anything like that? They actually had Goofy like uh, walking down, up and down Main Street with a chainsaw. It was, it was <laughs> awesome. Oh, yolk? I'm going to kill you. So yeah, I think my, m both of our appreciation for Halloween pretty much on on similar levels. I think we both have a have a pretty solid appreciation for the holiday and just uh, you know creepiness in general. You know, I also want to add my love to uh, to the Conjuring and add some more James Wan awesomeness, which is the Insidious franchise. I love the Insidious movies. I think they're oh. very creatively written and shot and very fun horror movies. For sure. I've seen all of the Insidious movies in the franchise so far. I've enjoyed all of them. That's another really good one, especially when that first Insidious came out. It was kind of a... There's certain like kind of benchmark horror movies that come out and they kind of set the bar in a certain place. And, and that first Insidious movie was a, a real original that kind yeah. of set a new standard. That it was a breath of fresh air because I think most of the horror movies had been pretty bad. I feel like, yeah, I feel like in a way when Insidious came out, that was almost kind of the beginning of like a series of more creative mm -hmm. and interesting horror movies like the Duke and the witch and all that stuff. Yeah. A new era. So yeah. Um, I think, uh, now let's, uh, let's get into, and we'll, uh, we'll cue the next segment of this, uh, 
Halloween spooktacular episode and get into uh, what the theme of our podcast is, theology, and, and see how theology actually relates to uh, the paranormal and to ghosts and ghoulies. Does it relate? Is, is there any any validity to this stuff? Or like, are they totally in their own separate realms? Should we steer clear of Halloween and ghosts and stuff like that as Christians? And so let's get into the theology of Halloween and of the paranormal. I guess the main thing that people would be thinking of when they think of the paranormal and Halloween and so forth is ghosts, specifically human, dead human spirits or the spirits of the human dead, if you will, thing and hauntings and stuff like that associated with that. So I think a lot of, especially in evangelical Christianity, there's a kind of, um, at least in my personal experience, the kind of knee-jerk reaction seems to be there are no human spirits wandering about because it's somehow not grounded in scripture or there's scriptures that contradict it or all that stuff must just be demonic or I and mean, have you heard that same sort of stuff brett yeah i definitely have i've heard similar things um definitely in christian circles uh in regards to people's opinions of ghosts um especially uh, ghosts as defined as people who have passed away and their, their spirits um i think christians are very hesitant to give any validity to these claims that ghosts could actually be a thing or be real divorced from demonic activity and so i've just i've always gotten the same thing like oh you can't even consider that ghosts could possibly be a real thing um, within the framework and the worldview of the Christian faith. And I, the more I've thought about it, the more I don't think that's necessarily the case. But yeah, I think that's kind of the mainstream Christian view. Yeah, no, I agree. So we probably have our own reasons for thinking this, but I think we we are both in broadly orthodox Christians. And I think we both are inclined to think that at least at least some cases, right, of people's experiences of what they take to be the human dead, the spirits of the human dead are legitimate, and that there is a way to fit that within Christian thought and scripture. So why don't you start us off, Brett, and giving us your kind of perspective on how that how those two things can fit together. Well, I, I think that they, they, they can fit together. Um, and the way that they can, I think you need, can only happen if you, we open up our minds a little bit theologically speaking and not have a, as much of a narrow view of what's going on beyond the grave, what's going on with the spiritual realm, um, interacting with the physical realm um, within a, a Christian framework. Does that mean that every uh, claim is true about experience of ghosts? No, but it means that we don't have to shut that um, idea down, that we can actually, it can actually fit within um, the tradition of Christianity and, and the theology of, of, of Christianity from many different traditions throughout the history of the church and of the faith. The way that one of the main reasons that it can, that I see that it can fit is through a theology of a purgatory or a purging process of people who have, you know, passed away um, with unresolved conflicts or un, you know, resolved uh, working out of uh, pieces of their personal history or journey. 
And sometimes that entailing a continued interaction with the physical realm and the purging process as they continue to be molded and growing into the full image bearers of God. I don't think that God snaps his fingers immediately turned into perfect Imago days. Uh, the journey continues and will always continue into deeper and deeper experiences of God into eternity. And so it makes sense to me that, you know, everyone's journey is unique and somehow need to interact with the physical realm to gain peace or to take a step further into their journey, into some sort of purgatory-esque journey that they would have the ability to manifest and interact with the physical realm in some sort of way while staying completely within the Christian uh, framework and worldview. So any, any other thoughts on that or is that kind of summarizes? I don't think there's as much of a hard line between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. The physical realm and the spiritual realm are much more blurred than we realize. And I think that the interaction between both is much more present than we realize as well. I think that can totally open us up to having an open mind about ghosts being a reality in some cases. Yeah, I agree with that. So I guess from my perspective, um, so I totally agree with the purgatorial take on this stuff. I think Protestants especially are uncomfortable with that because they associate the notion of purgatory with the Roman Catholic notion of purgatory. And they think that we shouldn't believe in that because in the Roman Catholic version, it's associated with still having to pay for your sins. And Protestants want to emphasize there's, there's nothing left to pay, but we can still have a purgatorial view without that negative aspect of it. So I think from Brett and I's perspective, the purgatorial process is not to pay for our sins. It's just a continuation of the process of sanctification. Is that how you would put it, Brett? Definitely would. So I think that's how we're thinking about it. Like Brett's saying, it's just more of a continuation of a spiritual journey as opposed to mini hell as the medieval purgatory kind of was portrayed. Yeah, so I'd agree with all of that. And then it adds some stuff in terms of how I think this relates to some common objections. So I just addressed the purgatory thing. Uh, I think there are two other things. So one of the things I, I've heard in response to the idea that some people might still be having some sort of spiritual process that's associated with ghostly activity, the main scripture objections to that, where Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Have you ever heard people use that, Brett? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So I think that would only be a good argument if you added the additional assumption that to be present with the Lord is to be absent from the earth. Yeah, so I, I just don't see the I don't see the argument there. I don't know why we should think that just because it's true that Christians at least are present with God in some fuller way after death, as Paul indicates, that therefore it's not possible that we could have any sort of interesting interaction with the earthly realm. And I think that relates to what you're saying, Brett, is people have too much of a bifurcated view of like the spiritual realm is like somewhere far away, right? We're totally disconnected. And then the other thing, so another thing would be people say, well, uh, man is, quoting Paul again, man is destined to die once and then face judgment. People often use that verse as well. And again, I, I just don't really see what the argument's supposed to be there, right? Why should facing judgment, whatever that looks like after death, be inconsistent with ongoing activity or progress after death. I just, I don't really see how those are meant to be inconsistent. 
I think usually if the, the big objection, what most people are thinking associated with that is they don't have, I think, the proper biblical view of the intermediate state. A lot of people think when you die, you go one of two places and you're there forever, right? Heaven or hell. But that's just not uh, what the Bible teaches. So when you die, you're in the realm of the dead and probably having different experiences in this intermediate state waiting for the resurrection. So our eternal destinies are fixed in the future at the resurrection, not right after we die. Yeah, so I don't think the argument that our eternal destinies are in heaven or hell are fixed after death works because that's just not scriptural. Our eternal destinies are fixed at the resurrection, not after we die. In the sense that we don't go to some eternal place, right? Like new creation or Gehenna after we die. That, that's a description of something that happens on the last day at the resurrection. So I think because of that, we know there's this intermediate state where I think it might make sense that during that intermediate state, there might be, again, this purgatorial or maybe even pedagogical process that happens in that kind of interim phase waiting for the resurrection. What do you think about that, Brett? I agree. I, I just think that we put too much barriers up as to what is and isn't possible. It's a very, um, to use the word of uh, Richard Rohr, it's a very kind of dualistic, hyper-rational way of looking at the grand story of redemption that God's working out. I agree. It's not just like this nice, clean, step-by-step, -step, compartmentalized story happening here. It is a symphony. It's a painting being created by God. And to limit that or what that looks like, I think, is not what we should be doing as believers. We want to be scripturally based, but we also want to expand minds as much as we can into understanding the redemption of humanity as a whole and of each individual is happening and what that looks like in this life and the next life. I mean, life is so fragile. You know, like we've talked about in past episodes, even the last episode on the spiritual realm, you know, who knows what, what's happening beyond this thin veil of physical reality. So just to totally say that none of that is, is possible, period, I think is it's too easy to say. And it's, it's kind of closed minded, in my opinion. I agree. I, another thing that just struck me, too, is I think um, so one of the things that's uh, often condemned in the New Testament as something that's bad and for Christians to avoid is uh, divinization and witchcraft, right? And these sorts of things. So mm -hmm. it, would, it would be odd if these practices, I mean, I mean, they would be help, unhelpful either way, but I think it'd be somewhat odd if practices of trying to, uh, to contact the dead or engage in witchcraft and so forth were condemned that strongly, if really there was just no reality behind that. Does that make sense? I agree that the, the Bible does speak to that a lot, doesn't it, about really warning us against witchcraft. And of course, you know, every uh, Orthodox Christian believes in the demonic side of the coin, that demons do have some sort of spiritual influence on the world, usually indirectly, but sometimes in a more direct way through oppression or demonic possession in the most extreme case. So do you have any thoughts on the uh, demonic side of things, Brad, apart from all the stuff we talked about last podcast? I don't, I don't want to mess around with the demonic. That's all I know. True that. <laughs> <laughs> the way I've looked at it, as far as like the, the reality of the demonic, apart from like, you know, scripture, t you know, teaching it, obviously, and, and other things like that, you know, more biblically based is just the fact that the, what creates all of this horror stuff to begin with. 
has at least to me shown that, you know, there's some dark forces <laughs> at work. Like, you know, there's a very real kind of dark energy and there's definitely real demonic stuff happening uh, in this physical reality. Yeah. So relating to the the kind of sense of dark energy, they're demonic. Um, I guess we'll start this to transition into our story swapping of creepy stuff segment. I always remember this one time, and I'm sure you remember this too, Brett. So Brett and I also have two younger sisters. Tori's been on the podcast before. You should go back and listen to that episode. And I remember there was one time when we all, we were all in a cross-country trip with our parents. So we were all in the car, all four of us. And this was just like maybe seven or eight years ago, probably like eight years ago. And we were all, uh, we had to stop at this army base for the night and the TLF, the temporary living space, um, little house you can stay at, kind of like a little hotel on the, the army base there. It was at night and it was, this TLF was kind of off on its own by a forest. And I remember uh, independently, all of us kind of had the same feeling and thought as we were approaching this place. And we only realized like soon after when someone brought it up, they're like, oh, I was feeling the exact same thing is we all kind of, as we were approaching this place, for some reason, were like struck with like a, a very uh, like heavy sense of kind of darkness, like something was really off and really disturbing, but it was hard to put our finger on why. Do you remember this, Brett? I do. We've talked about that numerous times. Yeah, and I remember that feeling just kind of increased, at least for me, when we got into this place. And again, it was it was an uncanny sort of thing where it wasn't, you know, this place didn't look like a haunted house. There was nothing overtly creepy about it or anything, but there was just something that felt very, very off and un unsettled around that house and in that area it was in. Yeah, something about the, the, the trees were all dead and it was a little colder and the leaves were on the ground and just kind of had a, a weird, I think you used a good word, uncanny kind of feel to the whole uh, environment. Yeah. So there is that. I've also had my own personal experiences. I, I won't get into the, the details of it. No, nothing that extraordinary, but I've had a handful of experiences where I felt more of a uh, some sort of direct demonic presence, a sense of oppression. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, Brett. The only story that I, I have, and I like to tell it because I was uh, indirectly a part of this story, was this one time when I was in college. Me and a few college buddies took a, a trip up to New York City for a spring break. And then uh, after we stayed in, in the city and did some sightseeing for, for a few days, we uh, drove up to Connecticut to one of my uh, college friends, his house, the house that he grew up in, his parents' house. And uh, we we spent the night in this house. And so so leading up to this trip, he was a big like believer in ghosts and supernatural and stuff. And he told us all of these really creepy stories about this house that he had grown up in. And so we all had had heard about this place and, and heard about his home and all of the stories that he had told us. But now we're actually going there to hang out and <laughs> spend the night. And so we got there and uh, I think it was just three of us. I think a couple of uh, our other friends went somewhere else after the New York City time that we had. And and so the sleeping arrangements was two of my friends were in, or one of them who was his house. Yeah, it was two of my friends um, in the uh, childhood bedroom 
Um, I think there was like a bunk bed or in there or something. And so they were both in there. My friend who did not live at the house was in there. And I was down the hall at the end of the hall in the guest bedroom again. So they were kind of by the stairway off the main hallway. And I was down at the end and the, the guest sleeping. So the uh, the friend who didn't live there, he said that he was woken up in the middle of the night by the sound of footsteps pitter pattering, um, like a, almost like a little kid was like running around outside the bedroom on the uh, the carpeted hallway, like a pitter patter, pitter patter. And he thought to himself, like, what is that? And he he kept on listening, and and he heard it again, and. And then he thought, well, maybe it's maybe the parents are up walking around or something. But he said it sounded like kids' footsteps. And there was no kids in the house at the time. It was just the parents and us. And he said he got up and no one was up. He kind of looked out the door and then he laid back down. And then the door was cracked and he, he was like looking through the crack and he heard the pitter-patter, pitter-patter again. And outside the door was a um, nightlight. And he said he he heard like what, what seemed to be the little kid's footsteps running again, like pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And then when he heard the footsteps go by the crack in the door, a shadow went over the nightlight. And then he said he kept on hearing the footsteps like running down the rest of the hallway down toward the bedroom I was staying at. <laughs> sound asleep and then you heard the footsteps kind of disappear into the area where i was so i'm glad i was not aware or awake when all this was going down because little did i know in my sleep that i could have potentially had a little kid ghost tickling my toes but uh yeah so my friend claimed he was wide awake when he he heard this and saw the shadow and everything and he was telling us all about it the next day at breakfast and we're all like kind of freaked out like oh my goodness because it perfectly aligned with the stories that my friend had always told me about the house growing up all these weird things that had happened so um let's just say i was glad we were just spending that one night in that house and we were leaving that day because i would not want to stay in that house again especially knowing there was little kids ghosts running around upstairs but you know who knows what it was but that's a pretty weird thing for him to experience and the fact that i was with him i was kind of indirectly involved so there's a, one of my stories, not directly related to me, but I was there when supposedly all this was going down. And Ben, what about you? Give give us give us a good story other than the weird, unnerving forest from that military base on the road trip. Because I know you've had a you've had an experience. Yeah, I've had like little things here and there. The one though that seemed like the most overt, the most kind of interesting, was so. Our family had just moved into um, a new house in uh, Melbourne, Florida, um, where we're kind of from. Um, I was about 18 at the time. So we just moved into this new house. It wasn't an old house or anything. It was actually in a kind of new development area. So there's a guest room um, right when you walk in the door. If you turn immediately to your right, there's a guest room with whatever the big open doors are called, French doors or whatever. What are those called, Brett? I forget. Yeah, they're just like a double doors that kind of open up from the middle and they have like a wind. There's windows through the doors. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure the exact name for it. Yeah, so it's like that, but there are curtains over the windows. Um, and But, you know, very thin, right? So if you're at that guest room, you can hear, you know, everything right outside of it. And again, it's, it's right by the front door. So I had been sleeping in there on this particular night. Well, not actually sleeping because I have issues with insomnia. So I was actually wide awake. It was about like two in the morning or something. And I was just kind of laying in bed thinking or whatever. Again, not not even half asleep, like staring at the ceiling. And then, and again, this is the front door is right outside of this and you can hear everything very clearly. 
and all of a sudden I heard, well, well, so the first thing I heard was it sounded like some sort of rustling in the kitchen, like someone was going through silverware. And I was like, huh, that was like, that's kind of weird, you know, oh, well, maybe, you know, uh, one of my sisters or, or one of my parents is getting a midnight snack or something or drink. So I was like, huh. And then very soon after that, I very distinctly heard right outside of the, the French doors, um, our front door to our house open and shut. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe our dad is going out to see if something is in the car he needs or something. So I was just kind of like laying away, kind of curious, kind of waiting to see when I, what I thought was my dad would come back inside. And I waited there for like 10 minutes and I was like, what is going on? No one's come back inside. So I got out of bed and I went out and I checked the front door, you know, which is right there and it was locked from the inside. So I was like, what is up with that? And so I went into my parents' room, um, which was right around the corner. They had, they had had their door cracked open. I asked my mom if my dad was in there. It was dark and she was like, yeah, he's been sleeping next to me. Uh, he hasn't gotten up. And he was, he was there, he was dead asleep. And so I was like, did you hear about five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago, did you hear the front door open and shut? And again, this is very close to where the front door was. And she said, yeah. She was like, I, I thought it was you. I thought you, you went outside to get something. And I was like, uh, no. I was like, I thought dad went outside. <laughs> mm. So then my dad kind of woke up as we were having this conversation. Both my mom and I agreed we had heard the same thing. You know, the first thought, natural thought, obviously, is I hope there's not an intruder or whatever. But again, the door was locked from the inside. So my dad got out of bed. Me and my dad went and kind of sleuthed around the house. You know, all the windows and doors were locked from the inside. There was no sign of a break-in or anything. Uh, my sisters had been sleeping upstairs, um, upstairs and down the hall. Yeah, that's probably the most overtly creepy or weird thing that's happened to me. And that happened in our house, too. Goodness gracious. Yeah. There were also kind of weird things with that house. I know our youngest sister had, I think she also said that there was one or two nights when she thought she heard very subtly, maybe something coming up the stairs, like a very soft creaking or something. And there was also this weird thing where like the first couple of Christmases we were there, we lived kind of like in our backyard. It was kind of like a small nature preserve. And uh, so there were like hawks and um, buzzards and stuff and eagles. And like the first two Christmases we were there, these eagles, well, not just the Christmases, it just, it happened like off and on, but then stopped randomly. But these eagles would just like fly into, like hit the glass. They would just like fly into our glass windows in our big living room area. Do you remember that, Brett? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, th I thought that was because of the reflection of the glass and it being such a large window, but that is weird. Yeah, maybe. I just know it kind of had, a, it happened, yeah, the first year and then it just didn't happen again. That was kind of weird. Probably unrelated, though. Well, speaking of Alfred Hitchcock, there's some other good, uh, not really horror movies, but yeah, kind of. You know, there's some good Hitchcock thriller movies out yeah. there as well. So, probably Psycho. Psycho's the closest thing to a horror movie he did. The classic woman getting stabbed in the shower. All right. Well, shoot. Halloween. It's upon us. Halloween 2018, you know, celebrate, have a good time, eat a lot of candy. And don't use a Ouija board for God's sake. Well, as we play ourselves out here, I just been just what, a quick final thought. What are your thoughts on Christians celebrating Halloween or steer clear of Halloween and do like fall festival? Yeah. So I, th I think it's uh, I think it's fine if they want to do an alternative option. 
but do I think that Halloween um, is an intrinsically <laughs> demonic or anti-Christian thing, a problematic thing? No, I don't. It, it just depends on how you treat it. And I think people can be too obsessed about the origins of things and you know, where did this or that come from? I mean, most cultural things like this have multiple cultural, like historical influences. And it's just to commit uh, the genetic fallacy to think that something is problematic just because it had problematic origins or unchristian just because it had unchristian origins. So I think people should chill out, um, enjoy eating some candy and watching some scary movies. And uh, maybe it does have some pagan origins, but so do Christmas trees. So get over it and have yourself a good Halloween. You know, everyone is able to, you know, you got to follow your conscience with that one. It's definitely not problematic and can be celebrated in the right way and in a fun way. Agreed. Agreed. As long as you're not trying to use Ouija boards and summon demons, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, for sure. Well, happy Halloween, Theologizers, and we appreciate you joining us on this uh, Halloween episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you guys enjoy, uh, enjoy your Halloween festivities as well, or fall festivities, or whatever you are doing this season. Thanks again, Theologizers, as always, for tuning in, and we will definitely see you on the next episode. All right, all you grin, grimming ghosts, get out there and socialize. When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, happy haunts materialize, and begin to vocalize, grim, grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes and don't try to hide, or a silly spook may sit by your side, shrouded in a dark disguise. This is the Theo Bros Podcast. Hurry back. Hurry back. Be sure to bring your death certificate if you decide to join us. Make final arrangements now. We've been dying to have you.